This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. It's hard to imagine building a city from scratch. I just remember the difference between the first time I went there when it was just a little mud hole. Just didn't look like it had very much potential at all. Turning a little mud hole into a full-service city, it takes an incredible amount of resources and people and moxie. That's reporter Chloe Prasinos. And the other voice you just heard is Milt Ritter. Okay, my name is Milt Ritter. Ritter is a journalist. He covered the story of Rajneesh Param, which was a city that popped up in Oregon in the 1980s. Uh, I mean, it was amazing. You know, it was it was slightly breathtaking driving down into the canyon after a few years compared to what it was. Rajneesh Param wasn't trying to be any American city. They are trying to build a utopia guided by New Age religious principles, a place where people of like mind could abandon the mainstream and live their own way. And almost as quickly as this place went from mud hole to city, it went from utopia to dystopia. There's been a couple of big stories that I covered in my lifetime. Um, the eruption of Mount St. Helens was one of them, and the Rajneesh Param uh, was, was the other, you know? It's uh, crazy. The story really begins with one man, an Indian guru named Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. His name loosely translates to Sir God. Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh is a mystic from India, and he's what we would refer to as an enlightened being. That's Ma Ananda Sarita. When she was 17, she ran away from home and traveled the world, looking for what she calls the essence of life. Sarita found it in India when she met Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. So, of course, you've heard of Jesus, you've heard of Buddha. Those would be considered as enlightened beings. Rajneesh was a philosophy professor come guru. He synthesized Eastern and Western spiritual thought and psychotherapy and created his own brand of spirituality. He said... You cannot make a dogma out of my words. As far as I could tell, his religion was a non-religion. Here's archival tape of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh from the Oregon Historical Society. We'll be hearing tape from their archive throughout this episode. It is not a way of prayers. It is a way of living. The guru's way of life basically trashed all the difficult stuff about religion, all the chastity and abstinence and discipline and shame, and instead curated a spirituality of sex, laughter, and luxury, which, as you can imagine, sounded pretty appealing to a lot of people. Rajneesh had a meditation center in India, where, in the 70s, lots of Westerners paid good money for spiritual instruction. Rajneesh's disciples dressed in red clothing and wore lockets with his photo inside. They called themselves sannyasins, a Hindu term for a kind of spiritual seeker. They even took new names given to them by the guru. The women were given the title Ma. The men were referred to as Swami. And the sannyasins weren't just disciples. They claimed to be in love with their guru. Bhagwan is my master and I love him. (laughs) Bhagwan's my master. He was infinitely graceful and in his eyes one could experience the whole universe pulsing there throbbing alive rajneesh was known for a technique called dynamic meditation it was intended to quiet the mind 
Practitioners close their eyes and concentrate on their breathing. Then they explode. They scream, jump, kick, dance, writhe. Then comes a mantra. And then silence. In 1981, Rajneesh was basically kicked out of India. There were accusations that his ashram was a business, not a religious institution, which would mean he owed several million dollars in back taxes. So the guru and his followers started looking for a new home base, and they found it in the United States, a 64,000-acre ranch way out in the range country of north-central Oregon. Soon after they arrived, Milt Ritter went out to investigate. When we first took that trip it was almost like really is is this right you know are we headed in the right direction this is just seems so out there and it was hard to understand what a guru from india would want in a place like this the first time i met the uh, the rajneesh uh, was in the about the second week of july of 1981 this is dan duro He was the Wasco County planner at the time, and the Sinyasin's new ranch was located in his jurisdiction. When they first walked into the office, uh, there were uh, just three of them at the time, and they were uh, quite pleasant. But they definitely weren't from around there. They were all dressed in red. They had strange names. At one point in the conversation, Duro asked if they were a religious organization. And the answer was, oh no, absolutely not. We're not a religion. Uh, We have members who are of all faiths. And we just celebrate life and laughter and, and happiness, and we're just simple farmers. Well, that wasn't the case, and that wasn't, uh, of course, the intent. Duro didn't know it yet, but the intent of his visitors was to build a mecca for the guru's followers from across the globe. In order to build anything, the sannyasins would have to get permits for every single structure that went up. The mistake I think that they made ultimately was to not look at the land use laws of Oregon versus other states. The land the sannyasins had chosen was zoned specifically for farming, and they weren't going to be able to get permits for buildings that weren't for farm use. But there was a workaround. According to state law, if they became their own city, they could have their own planning office and issue their own permits, effectively skirting county oversight and the land use laws. And in Oregon at the time, to incorporate a city, all you needed was 150 people, which was easy for the sannyasins. There really wasn't much to decide. Once they met the basic requirements for incorporation, it it moved forward. The sannyasins named their new city after the guru, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. They called it Rajneeshpuram. It seemed like it happened very quickly that buildings started springing up and gardens started being planted, houses. Uh, they scratched out a, a runway for an airfield and uh, they brought in planes. The city needed infrastructure to support not just the full-time residents, but visitors too. Every summer, thousands of disciples came for Rajneesh's annual festival. In the off-season, people came to take meditation courses and experience life in the city. They built a strip mall and a hotel, buildings for religious ceremonies, a crematorium, a discotheque, a post office. Many of the buildings were designed in a rustic, alpine style with wooden siding. 
Housing, on the other hand, was built quickly, with lots of prefab A-frame structures littered across the valley. It was amazing at what they were doing, and they were doing it very, very quickly. But the ranch's rapid expansion did not go unchecked. Immediately after Rajneeshpuram became an official city, an Oregon environmental group challenged the incorporation. They saw the attempt to build a big city out in the desert, which was zoned agriculture, as a huge problem for the land use laws. A judge ruled that the Sinyasins could keep building their city, despite the pending lawsuit. But he warned them, if the environmentalists won their case against Rajneeshpuram, almost everything they built would have to come down. The Sanyasins were undaunted. They worked 16-hour days, six days a week, building up their city. Here's Ma Ananda Sarita again. And so we would work all day, and usually that would go until midnight, <laughs> and then go to bed and maybe have a lover and make love all night and then get up again <laughs> in the morning and start over. Rajneesh taught his followers that meditation was the highest form of worship and that work would be their meditation. A doctrine of relentless work is pretty convenient when you're trying to erect a city from scratch. Of course, all that construction cost a lot of money. Luckily, Rajneesh had a global network of lucrative communes that sent their revenue to Rajneeshpuram. Plus, the Guru's followers surrendered everything from their former lives. They sold their jewelry, their cars, their homes, and gave it to the city. The ranch was changing fast. The Sanyasins arrived in 1981, but by 1983, they had built 140 small dams up and down the John Day River to slow the rate of erosion. And it worked. The dusty Golden Valley was green. We had an amazing organic farm uh, with very, very nutritious vegetables. Within the first couple years, the population jumped from a few hundred people to around 2,000. And their farms produced almost everything they needed. They also accomplished some pretty impressive feats of engineering. They built a 45-acre reservoir held by a 400-foot earthen dam. Not to mention a mass transit system composed of 85 school buses that zigzagged around Rajneeshpuram. But while the citizens got around in school buses, the guru preferred a Rolls Royce. In fact, he owned 93 Rolls Royces, and every day, in a kind of ritual, he'd drive around the city in one of them. At noon, and then again like at 5 o'clock, he would drive the roads, and people, the sannyasins, would line up along the roads, hands clasped in front of their faces, and then just sort of being blissed out as he went by, and tears streaming down their faces, and they were just like, oh... Right around the time he moved to America, the guru began a vow of silence. So these so-called drive-bys were one of the ways that Rajneesh communicated with his followers. But it seemed like he also just really liked the feel of the open road. And then he would hit the highway and he would drive 100 miles an hour. And I don't know how many tickets he got and how many times he was threatened to have his license taken away. But... Um, uh, evidently, it was a lot. While Rajneesh was in silence, he set up a government for the ranch, an elite inner circle of female sannyasins. He wanted the commune to be a matriarchy because he believed that women were less dominated by their egos. At the center of this circle was a woman named Ma Anand Sheila. Sheila was Rajneesh's secretary and chief spokesperson. She was one of the only people he spoke to during his long silence. 
Here's archival tape of Ma Anand Sheila. My purpose is to live with the living master, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, harmoniously with his people around here, and live a very beautiful, rich life which we have here. Whenever Milt Ritter came to report on the ranch, Sheila would try to convince him to join the sannyasins. And she says, you know, come on, it's, you know, what's to lose? You know, everything is taken care of for you here. All your food is made for you. Your laundry is done. You have housing. Why wouldn't you just do this? Sheila didn't convince Milt Ritter to move, but she had a very persuasive way about her. And she was becoming more and more powerful. There was a kind of, we could call a power elite. So Sheila was considered to be the boss. And especially when Bhagwan was in silence, then she took on more and more authority. At first, it seemed like Sheila wanted to have a good relationship with the surrounding Oregon community. She threw a party out at the ranch and invited the locals, but it didn't last. A lot of people think that it was Sheila that steered Rajneesh Param into a dark chapter. One that began with the neighboring town of Antelope. Antelope was a small community of about 40 people, mostly retirees. It was kind of a depressed little community. and had a grocery store and maybe a gas station, I think. Um, And not a whole lot more. The Sanyasins saw an opportunity in Antelope. They knew the future of their commune was subject to the county's laws. If they had control of a town, an established town whose incorporation wasn't hanging in the balance, they could influence county policy and carve out a permanent place for themselves in Oregon. So the Sanyasins purchased vacant houses in town, moved their people in, and generally made life in Antelope miserable. They harassed locals constantly, partied in their driveways, made fun of them on the street, and... Just to intimidate people, they took photos of license plates and videotaped city council meetings. They were obviously given a mission. Take over the town of Antelope. Over the course of a couple years, the Sanyasins stacked the city council and elected their own mayor. They even took over Antelope's school and forced ranchers to bus their children to another town an hour away. They ran the place. And eventually, they changed the name of Antelope to Rajneesh. Another city named for their guru. Now they were pissing people off. Anti-Rajneesh sentiment spread like wildfire across the state. You started seeing bumper stickers that said, Better dead than red. A reference to the sannyasins' red clothing. And some of this anti-Rajneesh sentiment turned violent. A hotel in Portland owned by the Rajneeshis was bombed, though no one was killed. And both the Guru and Sheila began receiving death threats. Sheila felt they were under attack. Stop persecuting us once and for all. And if they want to continue persecuting us, even though we are non-violent people, we will show them that we won't take this kind of harassment. Rajneesh Purim's police force, they called it the Peace Force, started buying more and more weapons. Sanyasins with rifles followed the guru everywhere. Sheila carried a sidearm. The city even had two helicopter reconnaissance teams. And then there were demonstrations that they would show to the media at, at their firing range of all these automatic and semi-automatic weapons that they had. And they had a lot of them. 
The takeover of Antelope, the brandishing of weapons, it was all too much. State and county politicians got together and put the bureaucratic smackdown on Rajneeshpuram. First, the Oregon Land Conservation and Development Commission amended their rules. Now counties would have to check with the state before allowing a new city to incorporate. The new rule was retroactive to right around the time Rajneeshpuram was incorporated. And then a county judge stalled all construction in Rajneeshpuram. No more building until their status as a city was sorted out. Rajneeshpuram seemed to be losing the battle to exist as a city. Here's county planner Dan Duro again. And it wasn't long after that, too, I think, that they then began to move in the street people from around the country and uh, busing them in and um, housing them there on the ranch. In the fall of 1984, Sheila announced that the sannyasins would open their city to the homeless. Their idea was that if we can bring in enough people to live here and, and we could convince them to vote for the Rajneesh candidates, we could actually get a couple of people on the, on the county council and maybe get some things uh, going our way. Sheila denied that the new residents were there just to vote. She claimed she wanted to share the bounty with them and named the initiative the Share a Home Program. Nobody else is taking care of them. Somebody has to do it. And I'm grateful that they're ready to share with us. The program got a lot of media attention. Some 300 of the new arrivals now meditate. 70 have just become full-fledged sannyasins. As many as 4,000 homeless Americans were brought to Rajneeshpuram during the Share a Home program. But behind the scenes, the new residents weren't treated well. Rajneeshpuram leadership tried to keep them in line by drugging them with Haldol, a powerful antipsychotic. Not surprisingly, many of the new residents ended up leaving. And then, in a final desperate move, the leadership of Rajneeshpuram devised an insane plan to prevent the rest of the county from voting. By making people too sick to go to the polls. The way they did it, evidently, is they would go to these restaurants and buy a lunch and when they went to the salad bar they would like pull out a little um, squirt bottle um, that they had concocted in the lab at Rajneeshpuram that had salmonella in it and they would just spray this over the salad bar and uh, then slip it back in their pocket and nobody knew. There were no fatalities but 750 people were poisoned. The sannyasin power elite wouldn't be connected to the poisonings for another year. To this day, it is the largest act of bioterrorism on U.S. soil. By 1985, Prum had entered its death throes. It had become a kind of oppressive energy, you could say, on the ranch. The guru finally emerged from his vow of silence. Sheila couldn't speak on his behalf anymore. And then I think she started getting more and more nervous as he came out more then she started feeling perhaps uh, that her power was, was waning. And suddenly, Sheila was gone. She left Rajneeshpuram for West Germany. And then once she had fled, then all these things started coming to light because then people started speaking and 
and putting the pieces of the puzzle together. There was a long list of dirty deeds that Sheila and her lieutenants had perpetrated over the past several years. Including, but not limited to, the salmonella poisoning, a huge wiretapping operation throughout Rajneeshpuram, a plot to murder the guru's physician and Oregon's attorney general, and the firebombing of Wasco County's planning department, Dan Duro's office. There were also rumors of crimes Sheila and her inner circle perpetrated against sannyasins, sedating people for days against their will, telling troublemakers they were HIV positive and quarantining them so their descent wouldn't catch. Some sannyasins were forcibly sterilized. 99 and 44 one hundredths percent of the people who lived at Rajneeshpuram, they were just good people trying to eke out a life, you know, in what they thought was the perfect utopia. And to them, this was shocking. Like complete shock and, and disbelief. And then at the same time, once it started coming to light, there was relief that she was gone. The guru started talking to reporters. He claimed innocence and invited the authorities to investigate the ranch. Did you really not know what was going on in Antelope? No, when I was silent, I was completely unaware. When I was silent, I was completely unaware. That's an archival recording of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. Soon, Sheila was extradited from West Germany on a slew of charges. She pled guilty, but said Rajneesh was the mastermind that she was only acting on behalf of her spiritual master. Her sentence? Three concurrent 20-year terms to be served in Pleasanton, California. The guru was also charged, but for lesser crimes. He got five years probation, $400,000 in fines, and he was deported. It was the the whole ranch just kind of ground to a, a standstill. These people were grieving. And then... Rajneeshpuram dissolved. Everything was being auctioned off. Everything from Rolls Royces to police uniforms. After the auction, it was a ghost town. Sarita was one of the last sannyasins to leave. She admits things went terribly awry but she still feels good about what they built in Rajneeshpuram. Even though it didn't last, the fact is that for a number of years, we were living in a very, very beautiful harmony with each other. So this was an amazing achievement. And I think it can serve as a model. The fact that there was some kind of power games going on and there was these destructive elements, that you will find anywhere. Rajneesh returned to India, where he continued to be a spiritual leader under a different name, Osho. He died of heart failure in 1990, but his teachings still command a global following. Sheila only served about two years of her 20-year sentence. She was released early for good behavior. Now she lives in Switzerland, where she owns nursing homes for the elderly and disabled. Today, the city that the sannyasins left behind has been transformed into a different kind of community. My co-producer Stephen and I went out to where Rajneeshpuram used to be. We drove down the long gravel road and descended down into the valley that is now home to one of the largest youth Christian camps in the country, 
owned and operated by an organization called Young Life. The meditation hall where sannyasins used to gather is now a massive sports complex with a batting cage, four basketball courts, ping pong tables, you name it. The old hotel is now a dormitory. Occasionally they use the airstrip the sannyasins left behind to fly in international campers. Rajneeshpuram isn't a city anymore. It's now called the Washington Family Ranch and is under a county jurisdiction. It's still a place for religious seekers, but not the kind that want to build a utopia. Just thousands of Christian teens looking to have, quote, the best week of their lives. Invisible was produced this week by Chloe Persinos and Stephen Jackson. With Katie Mingle, Avery Truffleman, Sam Greenspan, Kurt Colstead, and me, Roman Mars. Special thanks to the Oregon Historical Society for the use of their archive. And this episode also features a bunch of music from Hamesha, whose first album just came out. It is going to be big. I like the album so much, I decided to put the full vocal version of the first song on the album at the end of this episode. So stay tuned and you're going to have your new favorite song. You heard it here first. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 99% Invisible is supported in part by Slack, team communication for the 21st century. Our communication at 99PI is organized into channels that contain all the messages, pictures, files, and everything about a project. The Rajneesh Firm channel has the original pitch, has photos, archive videos, the script, Avery reminding me to track the script, links to the music we use, the rough draft of the audio file, and notes listing all the things I need to fix. Everything is in one place. We love it and it's easy to incorporate into our life and work. I like it so much I recorded a voiceover for a beautiful animated Slack ad that's playing in 800 movie theaters across the country. So if you get to the movies early, you might recognize the voice. Slack is free to use for as long as you want with as many users as you want, but they do have paid plans with additional features and more powerful functionality. Anyone who visits slack.com slash 99 will get $100 in credits that they can use whenever they decide to upgrade to any paid plan. Seriously, it makes work better and more fun. Go to slack.com slash 99. Support is also provided by NatureBox. You know you are going to snack, so do yourself a favor and surround yourself with good snacks that won't make you feel bad about yourself. We get a box in the office every month, and NatureBox introduces new snacks every month to try out, so it's really fun. And we rotate who gets to pick what goes in it. As long as the box has pineapple rings, everybody's cool. Go online to get your first box at naturebox.com slash 99pi. That's naturebox.com slash 99pi for your first box of Beyond Tasty hand-picked snacks sent direct to your doorstep. And finally, the land of Radiotopia and our little island of 99pi is supported by MailChimp. More than 9 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to design and send email newsletters. Our show started as a tiny nothing, and now it's a growing business, and MailChimp has suited our needs all along the way. Unlike all other aspects of running a business, MailChimp is totally not intimidating and even fun. I mean, they're they're called MailChimp, and they make grinder monkey hats for cats and small dogs, so being fun and not intimidating is kind of part of the brand. But it's also a powerful tool, and MailChimp is built to scale as your business grows. 
check out MailChimp and send better email. Thanks to MailChimp, the Knight Foundation, and true believers just like you, we created Radiotopia from PRX. Chloe and Stephen, who reported this piece for us, also produced the most recent incredible episode of Love and Radio called A Red Dot. Fear comes up of um, what you're going to think of me. Will I become more of a demon? Or will I become more human? It's really unsettling and thought-provoking and masterful. All hallmarks of Love and Radio. You can find links to Love and Radio and all the shows in Radiotopia at radiotopia.fm. You can find this show and like the show on Facebook. We're all on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Spotify. The pictures and supplementary material about Rajneesh Purim are particularly fascinating, so you don't want to miss those at 99pi.org. And as a little treat, as promised, here's For Love from The Law, from the debut self-titled album by Hamesha.